Welcome to the Job Shop Show, where we talk with the owners, suppliers, partners, and customers of custom manufacturers. Listen and learn the secrets of top-performing job shops, the tools, techniques, and backgrounds that have made them successful, all in the quest of raising the bar for custom manufacturing. I'm your host, Jay Jacobs. This episode is sponsored by Paperless Parts, connecting buyers and suppliers of custom manufactured parts. The Paperless Platform is a secure, ITAR-compliant, cloud-based manufacturing system for suppliers that reduces the amount of time spent on sales, estimating, quoting, administration, and order processing. It offers seamless integration with the accounting and ERP software tools that shops already use, such as QuickBooks, E2, and JobBoss. Paperless Parts was founded with a mission to make manufacturing more accessible by streamlining the quote-to-cash process. Spend less time quoting and more time selling. Shazam! This is Jay Jacobs. Welcome to the Drop Shop Show. Today we get into a rather dry but important subject, which is CMMC. It covers the regulations of aerospace and defense data and stands for Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification. That's a mouthful. With me are Bill Berrien. He's the CEO and owner of Pindell Global Precision, as well as Liberty Precision. And Jason Luce, Senior Vice President of Engineering, Paperless Parts. Bill has been all over CMMC for the past 18 months and great insights into the implementation process. Jason, amongst many roles, is in charge of ensuring Paperless Parts customer data is protected per the CMMC specs. I really liked having both of these guys on at the same time because it gave us a 360-degree view of CMMC, what it's about, why it's important, thinking about data arrest and then data being transmitted, best strategies for implementing CMMC. If you do any defense work at all, you will be required to be certified. And it's a rather lengthy process, much like ISO or AS9100 certified. Shops who start today will definitely have a competitive advantage over shops who delay. So if you want to get up to speed quickly, please listen to what Bill and Jason have to say. Welcome to the Job Shop Show, Bill and Jason. Thank you, Jake. Good to be here. Great to be here. Let's start off with getting folks to know who each of you are. Bill, you're a past guest on the Job Shop Show. You're a shop owner, CEO and owner of Kendall Global Precision in Wisconsin. I was refreshing myself with all your credentials, though. Maybe you could expand upon what, what Pindell does, but also products. And then I saw Liberty Precision and Invictus. Let's get some color on Bill Barian. Sure, sure. So number one, first, Jay, thank you for having me back. Great to be here. Always enjoy our conversations on camera and off. So Bill Barian, CEO and owner of Pindell Global Precision. In a past life, I spent about nine years commanding platoons in, in the SEAL teams, used business school as a reset point, came out to the Midwest with GE, helped lead a number of smaller companies after GE, and then acquired Pindell in 2012 in its 65th year. So we are celebrated 75 years last year, uh, 10 years mm -hmm. of my ownership. We are a contract machining company of precision machine parts. 
to customers globally. Original technologies and still, you know, a vibrant part of our business is Acme Gridley multi-spindle screw machines. We have a second facility that is all CNC with a heavy strength towards CNC Swiss and multi-axis lathe, as well as a multi-axis mill. About three years ago, we incubated another company, Liberty Precision, to focus more specifically on aerospace, medical, defense, uh, munitions. We obtained AS9100 certification on that that subsidiary, you know, which represents our CNC machines. And, it, you know, it's a wonderful industry to be in. I find all these fascinating parallels between the special operations community and advanced manufacturing, you know, which at its heart, you know, both of them are about small, highly cohesive, highly trained teams enabled by advanced technology, you know, trying to punch above their weight. So it's been a, uh, a fun journey in that regard. We are going to talk a lot today about CMMC, which is the Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification. That's certainly a mouthful. And the reason that I asked you to be on is that you're, it sounds like Liberty, but maybe Pindell, your shops definitely do a lot of defense work and you fall under what this science model is put out there for. And I'm thrilled to have you on to talk about your journey because there's definitely a varying degree of awareness and implementation out there of shops with CMMC. And you are probably at the forefront of being, I'll let you speak to it later, of course, but almost compliant now and having a real strong path using multiple suppliers and tools and and a philosophy within your shop to make sure that you are going to be able to honor that commitment to the DOD. Exactly. Yep. And to update you, just the other week, we completed the 110th control, CMMC control of 110. So, you know, in essence, sort of full, fully compliant with it and happy to chat about what our approach was and the angle and all that. And you probably just scared a lot of people with saying he's completed the 110th and they're going, holy shit, there's 110 to be even more this. <laughs> They trimmed it down. <laughs> this may be a good point, Jason, to have you introduce yourself. You are the senior VP of engineering at Paperless Parts. And tell us a little bit about Jason Lewis. Yeah, thanks a lot, Jay. So as you said, Senior Vice President of Engineering at Paperless, what that means is I run software development and operations of paperless parts as, as the platform, and that includes security and compliance. I've been in technology, software development, primarily with SaaS companies for 25 plus years at this point. So I've worked with early stage companies, pre-revenue startups, and I've worked across public companies. So really broad range of companies that I've worked for, industries I've supported, and a lot of that has been global needs. And so security, data privacy, and, and in various industries, compliance is always a key part of that. So this topic is certainly a, a critical one for paperless and just a, a fascinating topic overall. So excited to talk more about it. In a previous life, you were with MasterCard, and I would imagine there's a lot of compliance. It's it's a different type, but shit, uh, 
the compliance in the financial world is so important and it's embedded in the foundation of everything there. That gives you a great background, I would think, to think about the implementation of this from the paperless parts perspective. It, it has helped a lot, and it was certainly a big adjustment being acquired. So I worked for a company called Session M. We were marketing technology loyalty platform acquired by MasterCard. And so, as you said, post-acquisition, you know, a big part of our integration over two to three years with MasterCard is adhering to data privacy standards and security standards that are universal across what MasterCard does. And so coming from a high growth startup in a, in a MarTech space into, into that standard is certainly an, an adjustment. And I learned a lot about not just great use of standards, but really the smart application of how to navigate these things properly, how to make smart decisions about where you apply technology, where it's process-based, how you simplify things down and focus the energy in the right places. And so I think that's a big part that certainly I'm able to bring into paperless. And I know is going to be exciting in this conversation and talking to Bill about how that's navigated. It's not security is never as simply of just buy a bunch of security things, turn the dials up to 10 and the system is secure. There's a lot of smart navigation that has to go on to really create a system that is appropriately secure and compliant. And yet you're still user-friendly. Yeah. And yeah. absolutely. As a previous shop owner, I want to throw out the perspective. I looked at until the light bulb went off that being ITAR compliant was an expense that was non-revenue generating to my company. And then I had the epiphany, I guess, that it's actually an investment. And it's an investment I rationalized in two ways. One is that it was essentially a requirement to get the business of a subset of our customer base. And that was important to them. And rightfully so, they wanted to make sure that when they were sending us sensitive data, and particularly since we were dealing with the prototype, you don't want that getting into the wrong hands. It also, though, made my company better at security and better at thinking about compliance and I think that there were a lot of benefits there that they're hard maybe to quantify. However, they were part of the culture that confidentiality is important and we need to have that as everyday thinking within the shop. So it was definitely for us an investment in becoming ITAR compliant. And now CM, MC, Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification is the evolution of that put forth by the Department of Defense. And I think I'm going to start off, I'm going to read a little bit off of their website to give us a flavor of what we're talking about. And then, Jason, I'm going to ask you to jump in and expand on that. Cybersecurity is a top priority for the Department of Defense. The Defense Industrial Base, otherwise known as DIB, is the target of more frequent and complex cyber attack. To protect American ingenuity and national security information, the DOD developed the Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification, CMMC 2.0 program to reinforce the importance of EIB cybersecurity for safeguarding the information that supports and enables our warfighters. Overview of the CMMC program. The CM MC program is aligned to DOD's information security requirements for DIB partners. 
It is designed to enforce protection of sensitive, unclassified information that is shared by the department with its contractors and subcontractors. The program provides the department increased assurance that contractors and subcontractors are meeting the cybersecurity requirements that apply to acquisition programs and systems process controlled unclassified information. So that sounds like a hell of a lot of oversight and shop could probably go down a black hole trying to implement all this. And maybe you could explain this in a simpler way to us, Jason. Yeah, there are a lot of terms, a lot of acronyms. I mean, I think the way I like to try to simplify it down a, a little bit, you know, out of that description, CMMC is Department of Defense program for the industrial base that's a unifying standard to ensure that contractors are properly securing sensitive information. So in its simplest form, that's what it is. I, mean, I think what's interesting, looking at a little bit of the history that leads into this, right, is that, you know, DOD contractors have essentially been required to comply with NIST, so National Institute of Standards, uh, 800-171, so we're going to get into a lot of these terms, but that standard, essentially contractors have been required to comply with that since 2018. And the DOD didn't have a program that that audited that standard and, and the ability to meet it. So really where CMMC was born out of was a desire to actually create a, a systematic program to go in and work with contractors to ensure that those standards are actually being met. So the, the good part of this simplifying it in a way is the baseline standards are things that have been in place through NIST 800-171 and CMMC is now being built on top of that and building the framework for how, how shops are actually being audited and ensuring that they're actually ad adhering with it. Why 2.0 is NIST essentially 1.0? It's these things have gone through life cycles. And so you, the, the concept of CMMC has been around for a few years. They've gone through a number of revisions in discussions around what exactly the framework is supposed to provide, how this is being aligned. So now we're at 2.0. There certainly is a lot of detail. The, the good news in a way is in 2.0, the levels that companies have to meet has been simplified. So within CMMC, you'll hear of level one, two, and three. For mm -hmm. most shops, it's CMM levels, CMMC level two, which is what most shops will be dealing with. There is a level one and level two, level three. So that's really, I think, often when people say that's that is typically what what people are referring to. So would the level one refer to say a Northrop Grumman or a Boeing or a company like that? So level one is actually the the lowest level. Um, oh, so that, okay. that may apply to um, companies that are dealing with COTS, commercial off-the-shelf items. Level two is considered dealing with regular CUI, so controlled unclassified information. And that's where we mm -hmm. talk about in Bill's reference to 110 controls related mm -hmm. to it. And then level three is for companies, contractors that are dealing with special CUI. So those are critical program or high value asset. When is this required to take place? When does a shop have to be compliant if they want to be doing defense work? It, and that is one of the most interesting challenges with this. And I think where a lot of shops, I think, are struggling in, in customers and shops that I've talked to is that 
this has been going on for a few years. Some of the dates have been shifting as far as when this really starts appearing in contracts. So quick update on where we are now. In late July, the Department of Defense submitted the formal rule for CMMC 2.0 for regulatory review. So at, at this point, that's essentially the DOD finally saying that they're done drafting the rule. So that's a huge milestone. This now sits with the Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs for review. They have 90 days to decide whether to send it back to the DOD or most likely move it forward into the federal register. Pushing it forward then opens it up for public comment. Um, and so that goes through another phase where then it can come out as either an interim final rule, which would then take effect right away. Much more likely it would come out as a proposed rule, which means that OIRA needs to respond to all of these public comments before the rule becomes final. So all that being said, I think the best estimates right now are that this is likely coming into full effect in the beginning of 2025. Depending on how this lays out, it could be as early as early 2024, but I think most people in the space are saying this looks like it'll come out in the beginning of 2025. The key note that comes with that though, and I know this is exactly what Bill's gonna be able to speak to really well, is this isn't something that happens overnight. So saying this may right. start appearing in contracts in the beginning of 2025, you need to start backing this up. What most of the companies that are saying that are helping shops work through this is that this could be a one to two year journey to actually go through, do a gap analysis, put the things in place to actually achieve the certification for CMMC. So at, at that point, when you really back it up, I think if, if a shop right now isn't looking at this at all, they're a bit behind the eight ball at this point. I think really need to be thinking about how they, how they start moving forward. And I would think that even if it goes back to the DOD, it's 80, 90, 95 plus percent there. They're going back and forth on the margins and you can be pretty confident that what you're implementing now may worst case have to be tweaked a little bit or though will will essentially be the same and you might as well start now because as you said it's going to take a while it's it's a journey and bill when did you start looking at this we started probably about 18 months ago looking at it our State WMEP, Wisconsin Extension Program, manufacturer, Manufacturer's Extension Program, gave us a free grant for a cybersecurity study. We know which was that initial gap analysis. Um, so that sort of let us position ourselves. Where were we? Where were the standards? What was what were the gaps? But we dove in in effort starting in January of this year. So we were able to knock it out in about six months, which was great. And again, there are there some fast track paths to that that I'd be happy to share, you know, in terms of how you we're, start. We're definitely, yeah, yep. we're definitely going to get into some of that nitty gritty. Yep. But about six, uh, about six months for us. Now, I will say your shop was probably already pretty up to speed on basic compliance. You had the AS9100, you... Knowing, knowing your shop and, and yourself, it, this was not, the gap analysis didn't show up and you said, oh my, we right. we have a lot of work to do. It was building upon the foundation you'd created previously. That's right. Is and that, uh, we, we've been ITAR registered, you know, for five, six years. And, you know, as part of that ITAR registration, 
you know, we had a U.S. only employee base. And so you, you're a citizen or a green card holder, you know, which if you don't have that, uh, that's an obstacle because you're trying to firewall off, you know, certain aspects of the company from, from those, those employees. So that's something we had set a, a wicket, you know, a, you know, a screening up as part of hiring about six years ago for ITAR. So, you know, that's probably one of the, you know, earliest enablers. But yeah, you're 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 building on a foundation, you know, an increasingly deeper foundation of you know compliance process. You know, stuff, you know, frankly, you know, some of it goes back to being ISO 9001 certified. It's just right. you're going to be process driven. Is this a certification requirement or a compliance requirement? And how do you differentiate between the two. I'll let whoever wants to jump on that one. Jason, would that would you be a little good better on that distinction? I would say maybe what I read my perspective on it, but I don't know if that's uh an industry norm, compliance or certification. Yeah, I'll I'll give a shot at an answer. I'll be curious at what you think about it. And you know, at the end of the day, we would probably need someone at the DOD to help make sure we're thinking about it the same way <laughs> they are. Uh, but essentially, the way I think about it is is this, is that I think the compliance element really getting into the underlying controls and framework, which, again, the good part of this is that it is based on NIST 800-171, which, which means that outside of CMMC, there is a standard that has existed that's being built upon. So I think about it in terms of compliance being the contractor adhering to the controls laid out in that. And I think essentially in the pre-CMMC world is what contractors were being asked to do, is to ensure that they are compliant with the standards. I think here, I'm looking at certification. I think the important part here, and I think where the DOD changed their perspective a few years ago was deciding that they needed to specifically guide the audits and the validation that this is in fact being adhered to. So I think one lens is contractors need to be compliant with these standards, which is a lot of one-time and ongoing work. And then the CMMC program is about a certification, meaning it's needing to bring in a third-party assessor, have them compare what you're doing against the standards, and ultimately be validating that you are in fact meeting it. So I I look at them as very closely related, but what CMMC is bringing in is that additional step of certification, which means you actually do have to get an auditor to come in and conduct that certification. And that's the piece that whenever exactly that hits is, is very much coming. We're not only DOD, a lot of the large OEMs are going to be asking for this as a way to ensure um, compliance is being met as well. I have a question, Bill. Before we jump into what this means for the shop, do you have your customers asking you for your path towards CMMC? Or are they, how are they asking you? Are some of them requiring it or giving you a date when it will be required even ahead of the DOD? I want to understand if I'm a shop owner and I'm starting to think about this, when when are my customers going to start hitting me with a stick and maybe even taking business away from me if I'm not correctly down the path at that point? So Jay, good good question. We did not yet have any during the process of getting CMMC, we did not yet have customers that were 
requiring it based on legacy parts that we were doing. You know, we have you know some aerospace customers, you know, a couple couple defense customers, you know, things like that. But they they were not yet requiring it nor mentioning it, other than having all your data on you know GovCloud US only servers. Specifically asked that question. Uh, having the data on US only. Yeah. Yes. Yep. They did. They did. So they 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 wanted it to be you know on on GovCloud and you know to get access to their systems. We need to confirm that we were, which which we were going back a few years. But this was a, I think, more of an offensive play rather than a defensive play for us. That okay. we had a host of defense primes, some other aerospace companies that were saying they couldn't share RFQs with us until we had the certification or until we had the compliance. You know, and so you know, we were getting weekly emails from these defense primes saying. What's the status? You know, where do you guys stand? Okay. Uh, so that, that, that's what I was talking about. They're on it. They're on it. They're definitely on it. And, you know, some of them are on it so that you couldn't even have a, a plan of action milestones uh, item that it need to be fulfilled. So which was which was all all interesting. And we do it all fulfilled now. Yeah. So it was, you know, in, in offensive play, because you look at uh, the geopolitical environment, you look at Ukraine, you look at you know, a shift in posture vis-a-vis China, elements like that, and, you know, the implications for the defense industrial base, munitions stocks, all of that. You want to be, you know, we I want, we want us, Liberty and Pindell, to be players in that environment. And, you know, we need to have the boxes checked in order to do so. I'll express, a, you know, a little frustration, though. You know, is, is this the right opportunity? Yeah. Okay. I yeah. want to hear it. Oh. You know, I, I read these articles in you know various papers about you know 155 millimeter howitzer shells in short supply or javelins or yeah. all of this. You know, and then in the article you see the defense prime saying, "Well, my God, that's going to be a five-year effort to refresh those you know those suppliers and then defense industrial base and all of that." You know where. I think there needs to be by the defense primes and these, you know, high-level munitions suppliers a refreshed look at at the defense industrial base. Yeah, we might not have been the component manufacturer for that original run of javelins, but I guarantee we can be making the components now. So let's go, folks, in the national interests. Let, let's get out there. You know, I joke with our local, you know, Milwaukee Chamber of Commerce. That in the past, the governor would lead trade missions over to Spain or to Germany or, you know, Japan, things like that. These days, I almost think that chamber needs to lead a trade mission to D.C. and say, here are, you know, Wisconsin, a manufacturing state. Here are, you know, our potential participants in the defense industrial base. You know, please give you know, give our manufacturers a, a look and see what they can do in the national interest. So I'll get off that soapbox, but I thought I'd share. What I'm hearing is that the supply base is ready. The OEMs, the in this case, the munitions manufacturers are working with an outdated supply base and it's getting bogged down in a transition to a more updated supply base. Is that 
that, that, that correct Wales? I think that that's that's my sense. You know, I mean, maybe there's people are positioning for you know some larger appropriation that mm. you know somehow gets things restarted. But mm. yeah, you know, in 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 short. You know, I think whether it's machine parts or printed circuit boards or, you know, whatever goes into these advanced munitions, if we as a country need it done, let, let's have, you know, the, oh, oh, the, the the high level tiers of those munitions, you know, start to look afresh at advanced manufacturing sources that they haven't looked at in the past. Well, we look at a, a 155 shell and back in World War II, how long did it take them to convert the automotive plants in michigan to making tanks totally wasn't that long. i've got i've got a buddy though who owns a a fort a closed eye forging company and you know right here right here in milwaukee and he looks at these articles you know in one of the new york times about you know the the shop making these forgings of the 155 howitzer shell and he says my god it, it is like world war ii type oven you know flames <laughs> pouring out of the thing and and all of that where he says you know we get the po that material is going to our induction heating furnace and it's coming out and our right. robots feeding into the closed die forge and we could be knocking those things out like let's apply modern yeah. technology to modern needs i think we got another podcast here <laughs> Yeah. However, yeah, there we go. Back to our regularly scheduled show on the exciting topic of CMMC. Yes, <laughs> Bill, I think it's. I'm really excited that the manufacturing extension is that. Did I say that correctly? Yep. I'm really excited that the, the manufacturing extension partnership there was working with you early on when you did this gap analysis i'm thinking paperless parts is providing a portion of the tools that helped you get to the completion of 110 check marks there mm -hmm. what though what does this encompass what does this mean for a shop when you say all right i've got to be cmmc compliant what are the different pieces as a shop owner I have to be thinking about? Who's going to do it in my shop? Where do I go to get help? Yeah. Are there people out there to help? Let's let's paint that bigger picture, and then we can get into some of the details with yep. Jason on how Paperless assisted in that implementation. Well, okay, so CMMC is really about you know, the protection of confidential unclassified information, CUI, mm -hmm. both at rest and in transit. And so when it is at rest, when it's stored somewhere, or when it's being communicated, you know, between parties, you know, between mm -hmm. parties in your company, between that OEM and supplier. So the, the journey is about how do you use the right tools and have the right partnerships with other software providers, such as paperless parts, to ensure the security of that data at rest and in transit. Yeah. And I mean, which might sound like a, you know, a huge endeavor, but it, it, it actually, I don't think, I don't think it needs to be. I think it can be compartmentalized 
I think you can move very quickly. I can think you can limit your costs in this effort, but you need to make some decisions. And, you know, our decision was we were going to scope it pretty tightly, which members, which employees in the company were going to have access to CUI information. And not everyone's not everyone was going to get that not, information. Correct. Not everyone. Not everyone needs to. So it's you know it's a it's a small subset of of individuals in the company that are going to have access because you know you're really talking about those that are quoting it, those that are engineering it, and you might be able to limit the scope to frankly just those people because you don't need a wider dissemination of that information. Your shipping team doesn't need to know what, you know, the fact that you're doing that part number isn't a CUI information. You know, the details of what goes into that part number are. Let me ask clarifying questions. If you end it in engineering, does that mean that engineering is going to create a, whether it's controlled or uncontrolled, but a document that's outside of the print that may contain enough manufacturing information, however, doesn't provide the whole picture of the part. Is that correct? Is that correct. part of the process? That's part of the process. Yeah. And gotcha. how you display that information mm-hmm. uh, within your shop. So right. we, we... I, I want us though, I'm thinking as a shop owner, it's so mm-hmm. typical to put the print out on the floor. Yeah. You wouldn't do that. You, you don't do that. No. And we, we limit the data. That's all the, you know, all the sort of unclassified confidential stuff. We limit Mm -hmm. what needs to go beyond the engineering team. And then we limit who can see that. You know, we have, you know, those machines that would be doing this work have monitors next to them, special logins and things like that. But in that journey of getting this certification quickly at the lowest cost possible, you know, and the, the highest level of thoroughness possible, we scoped that employee group as tightly as we could. We also made decisions on what systems this data would rest in. You know, again, rest in transit. So we made the decision to scope this data only onto compliant cloud partners. So although we have a you know a server room here and we have an on-premise as- you know IT assets the CUI information never touches that. It, it is solely out there on Azure government, you know, where we use the Microsoft stack. So in an mm-hmm. Azure government, you know, secure storage location and any software that touches that data is similarly CMMC certified. So paperless parts, you know, that's the front end. Your customers are uploading their CUI information for quoting, and you need to have the full scope of it, you know, all the CUI. So it's critical that that quoting software be CMMC compliant, which paperless parts is. And that's the gateway that comes in. You know, we are looking at it, you know, our ERP is cloud-based. We use high QA for detailed you know, qual- quality analysis, that that is C- CMMC compliant. So all of those, you know, software providers are in their own right, you know, good partners in the CMMC effort. And we don't need to care about the details behind how they handle the data. We just need to make sure that, you know, are they themselves following these controls? And do we have a method of securely transmitting that data to them, which we do, you know, through their 
through their, you know, for the through their web-based tools. So, paperless parts, high QA, your ERP system. Are there any other software suppliers that you are including in the picture that you didn't yeah, mention? Yeah, I mean, we use Hexagon Esprit. So that's fully compliant for analysis mm -hmm. for the, you know, the can, the can programming of the models. Yeah. And we, we, we how, scope down to those. How about, assume you use Microsoft Office, is Microsoft Office CMMC compliant? Yeah. So you need special licenses. And, you know, as going back to our earlier conversation, we, some years ago, got all of our data on GovCloud, so U.S. only servers. So it's not ending up in a server over in another country. And then you use special licenses within Microsoft as to where that data can flow. And it, you know, so we, our Microsoft Office, it's all it's all cloud based. So Exchange Online, Office Online, Word, Excel, all of that is you know cloud based. And 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 you are. Only storing that in the cloud, as you said, Correct. even though you have on-premise servers, it Correct. doesn't touch them. You, you really have created a wall between this type of business and the non- Well, uh, yeah, and, and, the, yeah. And, and the rest of our business, we don't need to. And, you know, and then again, those fewer employees that are touching the data have a higher level of uh, Office 365 license that will limit who they can forward that CUI information to and mm. won't allow you to copy something from an email into a text or you know into some other application. So all the right controls are there. But again, you know, for those individuals, we're paying more for those licenses, but it's fewer individuals than are across the whole company. So and and, and having this segregated perspective and the right cloud partners and all let us move pretty quickly because you know jason you were saying you know in some cases this could be a 18 month 24 month journey but you know i'm here to say we were able to do it in six and i think you know i didn't fully benchmark it but i think it had dramatically reduced cost to what a lot of other consultants were quoting to us you know because if you if we had to CMMC secure all of our on-premises data and all of these other users, it would have been a lot more expensive, but we didn't. I think if you were listening and you're <laughs> going to implement CMMC, you just heard the gold from Bill. Everything's got to go into the cloud. Yep. Don't You have to segregate it and that is going to make it simpler and less expensive. Takeaway, if we have more than one takeaway, great, but that's <laughs> that's a huge takeaway there. Bill, I want to ask Jason, you, you talk about the front end and everything starts with an RFQ. Jason, can you share, first of all, why Paperless is taking CMMC so seriously and what we do for our customers who are using the software. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think a key part that Bill mentioned is 
fits right into where we want to fit is that in CMMC terms, paperless parts is a cloud service provider. So see it referred to as a CSP, just like Bill mentioned other cloud providers. And so, you know, we really look at our role is to try to make it as easy, clear, and seamless as possible for our customers to obtain CMMC. And so we aren't directly impacted by CMMC in terms of we aren't CMMC ourselves. We're not contracting out with the OEMs and the federal government. So our job is to make it easy for our customers to get there. So we tend to look at this in three main areas. I think one is the way we operate and run as a business and things that we have in place. So Certainly, we do a lot of training in the way we structure our teams around only U.S. persons would have access to any CUI that's coming through our system from our customers. So that's a foundation of what we do. We do a lot of internal training around understanding our obligations to our customers, where CUI is, what we're allowed to do, what we can't do in certain areas. Comes into things like incident reporting. Obviously, we do everything we can to avoid that ever happening, but that's a big part of this from the cloud service provider's perspective. Should anything ever happen, there's a very specific approach we need to take as a company to meet U.S. government standards and integrate efficiently with the government should something come up. So I think there's that one part. We really operate as a business with this in the forefront. And it's not just, it's smart business for us in the sense that probably what, 40 to 50%, maybe more at this point, of our customers from paperless parts work with aerospace and defense. So it's a big part of our customer base that is that is going to go through this journey. Beyond that, it's, you know, it's a space that we're passionate about in terms of trying to be a good partner to, to manufacturers, be a good partner to the defense industrial base. We want to help innovate and drive this industry forward. And so we see this beyond just good business, but also we think there's an important role we can play in this. So part of it's how we run as a business. Part of this is the technical and compliance portion of what we do. So in CMMC, what it stipulates is that for a shop like Bill's, when they work with a cloud service provider, they are responsible for ensuring that that cloud service provider is meeting appropriate standards. So the way that lands on us is as paperless parts, we need to meet the standards set out by what's called FedRAMP moderate equivalent. So FedRAMP is the Federal Risk and Authorization Management Program. So that's essentially the program that helps guide what cloud services federal governments can use. In this case, it's we say it's moderate equivalent uh, we're not directly contracting with the federal government. It's the same set of standards. So we've been going through the journey over the last year of looking at those controls. And we talk about CMMC being 110 controls. FedRAMP moderate is much larger than that. It's hundreds of controls. And so we've mm. been working over the last year implementing that. We're actually now just completing our FedRAMP audit. Uh, to go through that process to fully ensure we're meeting all of those standards, which allows us to give the quick answer out to any of our customers as far as what they need from us to go through the process. So there's a lot of work. It's process, it's technical, it's training uh, that we've had to do to meet FedRAMP moderate. And then the third part of it is the capabilities we provide within the product itself. So above and beyond all of those things, it's a strong foundation foundation that we're secure, we're controlling data properly. A um, couple things that we've done in the product to help support our customers. So one, and a really critical piece is around providing single sign-on authentication. What you'll hear often is just SSO. And what this means is that we are then allowing our customers to manage the user accounts on their end. 
honestly, one of the biggest weaknesses that companies run into using cloud providers, and we've all seen this, is users across a company, they go in, they create a username and password, and then they go use the system and they leave and they forget to update their passwords. They leave the company and somebody forgets to shut off the account. All of those areas, people talk about security breaches. It's things like that that are often right. where data gets exposed. It's, it's less common that it's somebody in these high-tech attacks on a system. It's often the easiest path in. So by providing single sign-on, we integrate with the security system, the authorization our customers are using. So when they create accounts and lock accounts, remove accounts, we're just we're simply honoring that. We aren't holding the passwords for those users. We don't have any of that data. So that really gives our customers control and ensures they're meeting a standard and allows us to know that we're honoring whatever they need on their end. Within the product, Bill, let me, yeah. Bill, let me ask you, is single sign-on important for you? It is, it is. And that's, you know, we mentioned that the, the cloud-based software providers that we're working with uniformly across all of them was this single sign-on capability. Because, you know, just as Jason was saying, it is otherwise a great gap that, and, 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 you know, and a hassle and a risk to be monitoring the user status, you know, across all these different, different applications, it, as opposed to, you know, single sign-on with Microsoft Active Directory, which is giving us access to the computers at work, laptops at home, as well as, you know, email and all that. That's the gatekeeper, merely extending that gatekeeping to, you know, our cloud software partners. So yeah, I mean, you know, crit critical. And that's, you know, again, uh, a, a link in the chain there that's necessary to move very, very quickly, reduce the risk and get it. Certification. I would think that I keep coming back to these 110 checkboxes and mm -hmm. maybe as simple as having all of your CSPs. I'm starting to use the acronyms here. <laughs> so you have all your CSPs that are single sign-ons and that allows you to check one of those boxes or maybe multiple of those boxes very quickly, obviously saving time and probably lots of money as opposed to if they're not, then you have to put the controls in place on your end right. to manage all that. That's correct. Yeah. It's easier to administer and anything that is easy to administer, you know, is reduced risk. Yeah. yeah. Jason, uh, back to you. Yeah. No, thanks for that. Yeah. Two other key things to call out in terms of what we've done within the product. So the other is around permissions and viewing of, of CUI. So as Bill talked about, a big part of their strategy was segmenting what users should be looking at CUI, who doesn't need to, and drawing a boundary. And so we enable that within the product in terms of defining for our users of paperless parts who can view CUI and who can't. So that, that gives our customers more flexibility if they need to have someone come into paperless who shouldn't, isn't authorized to view CUI, they still could come into paperless and do key functions. So we allow that. And then we also uh, develop auto 
audit reports as well. So our customers can then download an audit log mm. of who has accessed CUI within the system. So that's a key requirement in all of these plans is that customers and for ourselves that we know our data, we know what's happening with it. And CMMC is putting the same requirements on the shop, right? Is to know who is accessing the data is, you know, is that following everything right. that you've set out? And so we we track that information and we allow that to be viewed in audit reports. You talked about rest bill and I can see where paperless would play a part there. What was the other word that you used rest and transmit in, in transmit. Okay. So when you're sending it, yes. What is involved there? How is that different than the CSPs that are being used or is it part of them or talk about the transmit side? There's transmit by email, and then there's transmit to a service. Microsoft takes care of the transmit by email that if if something is CUI, you're only able to send that to someone else that's cleared for that CUI. And you know the 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 encryption and all is is taken care of through the Microsoft Exchange online. Is that outside parties as well as internal parties? I mean, you if if there is if, if your outside parties, you know, have the right level of right level. That's of- what I mean. If if they're what it sounds like, then is that if let's say it's a plater, yep. you're sending them information, then they that email address at the plater has to be at the same level. Correct. So and what, hap- what be- happens if, if you try to send it in to a plater and they're, they're not? It'll get stopped at the exchange online level. And also there'll be restrictions with that plater of not being able to forward it on, not being able to download mm. attachments, things like that. But what I'll offer here is because paperless parts system is CMMC, you know, FedRAMP compliant within the paperless software is a messaging feature. So, and that messaging feature is honestly how we would communicate more often with Mm. our, you know, outside services, because there you're both able to understand if they're qualified to handle that data, but paperless also allows you to redact portions of it, of that, you know, that aren't CUI information and send those to the plater. So they're, they would only see those portions that, of the print that you would want them to see, which doesn't put the overall data, CUI data at risk. And then all of your communication back and forth with the plater can be through paperless parts, messaging features. So that's our preferred way of attacking the communication outside of Pindell is through paperless messaging. Jason, can you elaborate on what is known as the viewer in paperless? Yeah. So the the viewer is where we enable people to look at the documents that are uploaded into paperless. And so that could be a 
a 3D drawing that could be a CAD file, a step file, and that could also be a PDF or another type of 2D drawing. So we enable a number of things, working within paperless in terms of quoting and estimating the work. But I'm glad you called that out, Bill. That certainly is part of the vision that we've tried to develop as well, is looking at that viewer is not just a way for our customer to view a part that they're quoting and estimating, but also as a way to share that information, is a place that you can enable uh, an outside vendor, and when it's finishing, whatever else you need, enable them to come in and view it. And so that's the reason we've built that and, and built the messaging tools is so that people can operate within paperless. And I think this is what Bill talked about is such a key part of this is anytime you talk about transmitting CUI, it's, you know, often happens in ways people don't think about in it in its simplest forms, right? You, you need to share this information with others, any other vendors you're working with. It's that becomes a key part of it. And so really to do that successfully and securely, limiting the number of systems that you're using is really the, the simplest, most foundational principle that you can have. You know, and so that's one of the things we try to provide is that capability of allowing vendors, others, you need to come in and see something to come into a place you know is secure and in your control as opposed to letting those documents, letting that information out of your control and trying and hoping somebody else is securing it. So we're really trying to help our customers feel good that they're maintaining control of the data they're responsible for. I want to make sure that if you're listening, what is critical here is that Bill and his team share a link to whatever data they want to share. That is on the Gov cloud server and the party that they're sharing it with does not have the ability to download that file and Bill and his team have the ability to withdraw the permission to look at that file at any time and they do. Those permissions don't last forever. That is so different than emailing a file to a supplier and you have no control of that data after you have sent that email. I wasn't aware of the Microsoft Outlook features of, of putting some control on that. That's pretty slick. I know, though, that a lot of times the downstream suppliers are the weak link, and those are particularly attacked by our adversaries. And this viewer product, as well as a, it sounds like the Microsoft Outlook, is a way to make sure that when you are transmitting, that the data is secure. Yep. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that, that you find some value in that. I want to get back to these 110 requirements, and you did a gap analysis. Who on your team led the effort to get this certification, and did you do it alone? Did you contract out with folks to help you? How did that play out? That's great. No, great question, Jay. So on our team, Craig Lockman, who's our director of quality, safety, and led that project for the CMMC journey. And he's done mm -hmm. a, an awesome job leading our, years ago, our AS9100 certification, as well as, you know, mentioning our, uh, our, our safety program. So in-house, he had the con, so to speak, for that project. We also used a a third-party company called Nimbus Logic, you know, based out of Albany, New mm. York, who has a, well, I think, a really innovative offering 
for compliance as a service. So they both assisted us in identifying what needed to be done to achieve the 110 controls. They had a system that allowed us to upload the proof of those controls and track where we are in that journey, what still needed to be done, what were the requirements for getting it done, like what is the actual control and all, you know, and uploading that into their portal, which then tracks that and is the link to, you know, getting our, you know, you know, actively refreshes the, what's known as the SIPR score. And don't ask me exactly what the acronym is, but it's basically the reflection of that, you know, do you have 90 out of your 110? You know, do you have negative, you know, it actually starts out negative. <laughs> With a, at one point in the beginning, we were negative 110 <laughs> or a negative 100 out of 110. Uh, so Go back a grade. You're right, back a grade. So yeah, their compliance portal helps track that journey. And that team was very adept at uh, helping us on that journey. We picked them because of that compliance as a service capability, but we also knew about their capabilities because they are one of the companies, bodies that helps Microsoft allocate and control the highest GCC high licenses that you mm. would need. So <clears throat> our managed service provider that within the company, you know, helps us with the on-site servers and the routers and Wi-Fi and all that stuff. We originally turned to them for the original GovCloud licenses. But when we went on the CMMC journey, they were turning to Nimbus Logic for the assistance on that higher level of license. You know, so, you know, talking about, you know, our, our journey of how do we do this quickly? How do we do this inexpensively and all? That was part of the element of segregation is that we were able to maintain the relationship with our managed service provider, the MSP, you know, because the rest of the business needs to run. You know, someone needs to help right, with the right. support desk and all of that for, you know, non-CUI users. But yep. Nimbus took over the CSP portion now, which is where all of our CUI information resided. So you know, on the cloud there. So we were able to, you know, have that firewall. So again, you know, separating managed service from the cloud service. Okay. And I would think a simple way of thinking of managed service is the hardware that's within the building. Correct. Correct. Yep. What was the cost to implement? Did they charge a an implementation fee and then is there an ongoing monthly fee for their services and when you say their their team was great were you assigned a project manager yep. want to drill into that all this a little more good yeah so we were assigned a project manager and had sort of robust communications over time through there you know a support linkage you know which mm -hmm. was both answered by the project manager as well as as well as others on the team there was an implementation fee and then a, you know, an ongoing uh, subscription to that compliance as a service portal, that, that software that they have, you know, as well as, you know, getting through them our higher level of Microsoft licenses. And for your users, one little one you know, change just to know about is that 
as far as Microsoft licensing, normal Office 365, you know, your subscriptions are on a monthly basis, you know, however many dollars a month per user, per that type of license. But with these GCC high licenses, you pay on an annual basis. So you pay that upfront as opposed to monthly. So just to know that's part of the, that's driven by Microsoft. If you're comfortable, I would love to know actual dollars so that as a shop owner, I'm listening, going, what's this, what's this going to, what do I have to budget? Let me, uh, and I'll reframe it. What is my investment? Got it. Got it. So, you know, based on, I think we have teen or so members of the team, you know, we have, we have 75 employees. So about 15 members of the team have the access to the CUI information, you know, and various levels of GCC high license, you know, with compliance add-ons and, you know, the various things that, you know, CMMC requires, you know, in order to keep bad actors out and also trace your data should bad actors get in. So we just did a renewal and that was probably about a $30,000 annual charge for those 15 users. Now, Mm -hmm. some of that would be offset, you know, for a, a shop owner listening to this, for those 15 users, we did not have to pay, you know, the normal Office 365 license. So that, you know, some of that got supplanted by this higher GCC high, you know, and that's spread out through the year. It's paid at the front end, but you would think about it sort of in a spread out fashion, you know, and I'd have to think back to what the overall sort of package was, but I think it was in the ten dollars to $15,000 project type land, yeah. you know, as opposed to quotes that we got of 40000 and beyond. But those were, again, more bigger scope, on-premises stuff, all of that, that, right. you know, and- I, 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 I like the way you approach it, and I think it makes so much sense- Yeah. You know, I mean, my advice to one of your viewers that let's say owns a, you know, a machining shop or a sheet metal, you know, fabricating or sheet metal bending, you know, if you want to get that CMC certification and, you know, even just be exposed to the RFQs that are coming out of the OEMs, you know, scope it super tight, you know, make it like five members of your team that are yep. having this higher level of certification, have that partnership with paperless parts for the front end, and then for any sort of vendor conversations, use Azure government for any of your CUI storage information. Like don't just don't, you know, and that's, that's, you know, pretty inexpensive charge and just keep your, your scoping really, really tight. So, you know, just to see what's out there, you know, see what RFQs you can, you can receive, you know, so quick to getting the 110 controls done, lower cost, because maybe you only have three to five people that have access to the CUI. Like don't give it to your whole engineering team, give it to one of your engineers, give it to, yeah, just, you know, three to five of you. So do that really quick and then Mm -hmm. keep everything cloud-based to the extent you can. So then you don't need to deal with all the on-prem security. Yeah. And I think you can move really, really quickly to this, you know, and then you get that C, you get your SIPR score that gets loaded up into the DOD database. Then you're searchable by 
defense mm. primes that you are CMMC compliant. Yeah. Don't overthink it. You know, because you want to move quickly. You want to, you know, limit your risk, you know, learn very quickly and you can go from there. That would be my advice. And I know that you are probably marketing the hell out of the fact that you are certified and I'm a sales and marketing guy at heart. And yep. I look at this as a huge competitive advantage you have even over other shops that are CMMC certified because you, if you go out there and tell everybody, it's not common, particularly right now. That's another advantage for doing this sooner than later. You want to make it easy for the buyers and make it easy for them to find you as a supplier that they can send information to. Your competitors, they may get the certification, but they, they don't make it easy for the buyers to know that. Take advantage of that. Let the world know. Put out press releases. Yep. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's, all there's them, an opportunity. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think any of these. So our journey under my leadership has been, how do we separate ourselves from the lesser capable, you know, retired guy in the garage, you know, lesser yeah. capable Shops that have not made, you know, are not, are not differentiating themselves because I think every one of these certifications is an opportunity for you to get better customers, better parts at better margins because it's you, you don't have as much competition. You know, how many other precision machine machining companies are there that are CMMC compliant versus those that aren't? You know, it's yeah. just, it's more, it's more rarefied air where I think that accrues more margin and to your point, Jay. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're on the cusp of, you know, going super broad with this, you know, we're actually just waiting for the the confirmation from DOD that our CIPRA score was, 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 you know, approved and validated and all that. And that's the, the, the stamp that we need to do the press release, to do the LinkedIn postings, uh, to do all, all of that stuff. And, you know, and we'll be highlighting who our partners were, software partners in that effort and, you know, and, and who helped us along the way. But yeah, to, to your point, you know, our niche that we focus on is complex parts at medium volume. So complexity, features, materials, tolerances, medium volume. On our CNC side, it is a thousand pieces to several hundred thousand pieces. And, you know, we don't do prototype well you know, we don't do automotive high well. We want to be in this niche, which I think is perfectly suited for munitions work, for, you know, drones, for anything that is space, aerospace, defense, you know, with, with some volume to it. And I hope folks come knocking on our door for that. These markets aren't going away. Nope. Bill, thank you so much. Close out with you in a second. Jason, Anything else that you want to share with a shop owner or think that someone who's considering getting CMC compliant should know? Yeah, I think I think it's a bit of context. And then I do have, I think, three things I would love to leave people with. I think, firstly, you know, thinking of the defense industrial base, it's what, a few hundred thousand companies, universities, contractors. It's a complex space. And the reality is it's a target-rich environment for adversaries. And so I think CMMC is real. This is the DOD's response to 
taking a step forward instead of just asking contractors to be compliant with rigorous standards they're now stepping in and realizing they need to drive this forward you need to secure the information and so that's a, a critical step and i think you know number one is i think people recognizing that one this overall for the industry is a good thing it's the appropriate thing to do it's perhaps overwhelming but this is the right step so I think number one is if shops are not thinking about this, if they're not taking it seriously, if they're thinking this might not happen or thinking this might be an easy thing to do that they'll deal with later, they should shift that thinking. This is, it's real, it's important, it's going to be good for their business. Not doing this is going to be a real challenge in the future for them. I think number two is shops should get somebody to help them through this journey. So in this space, what you'll hear a lot is a registered practitioner organization, an RPO. You know, so in this space, Bill talked about working with Nimbus Logic. So working with those RPOs to come in, a shop should reach out, get help, walking through the journey, do the gap analysis, understand where things are. And along with that, learn from others. And I think this, you know, Jay, I think your podcast here is great. I think Bill has a lot of great insights and smart ways to think about this. This doesn't have to be an overwhelming journey. This isn't an impossible task to undertake. So Trump should look at it, get help, take it on. And then the third piece is work with the trusted cloud service providers. And so certainly at, at Paperless, we take a lot of pride in the time, the effort, the money we've put into being a trusted partner in this space. So we feel we can be a critical solution in this chain, but that is a key part of it is to find those trusted cloud service providers, keep that ecosystem small and focused with the partners that you can trust. And with that, I think shops are going to get through this well, move on to a next phase. And, and, and really, I think together we can just drive continued growth within this country for this space. Yep. Jason, if someone wants to reach out with questions and get some more information, what's the best way to contact you? People can reach out directly through kind of the, the front door off of our website to reach out and contact. Certainly I'm happy as well. I'm responsible for our security and compliance within the engineering side, within how the platform's running. So people can reach out to me directly as well. We're very happy to partner with Shopped and helping to understand the journey. We're not this RPO. And so at some point, we're going to very clearly hand off someone needs a partner on that side. But we are very happy as a company through our front door, reaching out directly to me, happy to engage and talk to people about what we're seeing. We're working with hundreds of shops in kind of thinking about and navigating this journey and excited to, to walk through it together. Great. Thanks for your time today. Bill, this was wonderful. You gave us some very practical insights on how to make this happen. Thank you for your time. What's the best way for people to reach you if they want to connect? Our website's pindel.com, P-I-N-D-E-L, and our more aerospace, space, defense subsidiary that focused on this is Liberty Precision. So all one word.com. And then I'm, I'm on LinkedIn and uh, happy to chat through that as well. All right. And I was just sort of thinking to myself, don't send Jason a phishing attack to test him because he's really good and he's going to ignore it. <laughs> and if you don't know what a phishing attack is, please find a service manager. What, what are those called again, Bill? The defiance, defiance service manager? Managed service? Managed uh, service you know, provider? Yeah, you know, a cloud service provider or a managed or service man provider. Yeah. So please find a managed service provider. <laughs> Well, and and all there's so much security built into 
you know, Microsoft Online, you know, with yeah. Microsoft Defender. And, you know, they're the ones who have the global perspective on security. You know, they're the ones catching all the Russian attacks on Ukraine, cyber attacks on Ukraine and mm. uh, tracking. So, uh, yeah, I, I can't think of anyone better to go with than, you know, Microsoft's GovCloud solution. I'm leaving with the takeaway that this is actually probably a lot simpler than I thought it would be. And that there are partners out there to step up, just like with ISO or AS9100. You don't have to do it by by yourself, on your own. There are qualified people who have the experience. The cost seems reasonable. And my question to you as a listener is, where are you on your CMMC journey? And if you haven't started, what's the first step you can take to start? Until next time, keep those lasers cutting and those spindles turning. Have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening to the Job Shop Show podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to subscribe so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. You can also leave an honest rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Not only do I read every single one, it also helps me understand what content matters most to you. Thanks again for listening to the Job Shop Show.